You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. This service has already been on the theme and tone of the message God has given me for you today. I'm going to talk to you about righteousness. And I may be talking about righteousness for a while, like till November. Because this is a, one of the biggest subjects in the Bible, the most important subject when it comes to our relationship with God. How is a person made righteous? Most people still don't know. How is a person made righteous and how does he keep that righteousness once he has it? That's a big question. You think you get it? Well, how do you hold on to it? It's slippery like a greased pig, you know, it's hard to hold on to. Like nailing jello to a tree, it just won't stay up there. <laughs> but the truth is, righteousness is not a thing you hold on to. Righteousness is a condition that happens to you. Oh, glory. Righteousness is a condition that happens to you. It's not about you living a certain way to please God. Like religion has told us forever. You've got to live a certain way to please God. You've got to do a certain thing to please God. All that's man-made religion. The quicker you get that out of your heart and out of your mind, the better off you'll be. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This comes, from Galatians, this comes from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. You all, you all have heard, heard me talk about this. If you've been here three times, you've heard me talk about this. <laughs> about every third time we run, run, run this wheel again. Because I, 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 I know you and I know me. And I was talking to Curtis just, just the other day. And he and I, he and I were just, we, we do what we always do. We talk about the scriptures. We talk about the, we just... We just go at it. And he gets new ideas, and I give him my ideas, and we go back and forth on it. You know, I shared that. Some of you were here, were here uh, Wednesday night. I shared the revelation I got in, in, uh, in Israel. Had almost nothing to do with Israel, but a little bit. I shared with the, the how many of you were here Wednesday night? Okay. Praise God, the real Christians. <laughs> no, no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. We were here Wednesday night. I, I put it on the board. I put it on the board. All, all the books of the Bible. All the books of the Old Covenant. Anybody know how many there are? Don't, don't, don't shout it out if you were here Wednesday night. Anybody here know, know how many there are? How many? There are 39. There are 39. That's how many stripes you get in the Old Testament if you do something this short, short, of, short of death. Something, something worthy of punishment, personal punishment. If, and it doesn't, doesn't deserve stoning or death, uh, then, then you get 39 stripes. Isn't that amazing? The law has the same number of books yeah. as punishments delivered to the people. And you look at what, it, what the law is really all about. I'm, I'm big on biblical interpretation. It's one of my fortes to teach and strong in my education. Understanding how to exegete the scriptures uh, and I, I teach a course called homiletics, which is, which is the after you hermeneutic a, a passage, then you homiletic a passage for preaching. 
okay? Uh, but uh, the, the, the hermeneutics is just a study of how to interpret the scriptures. What are, what are, they, what are they really saying? What, what does it really mean? And denominations, there are so many denominations in the world because people don't understand how to interpret the scriptures. And uh, I've, I've come to understand that, that first mentioned things are really important and last mentioned things are really important. Right. Let me give you this little tidbit. The first mentioned things are important. Last mentioned things are important. So let's just, let's just see if we can get anything out of this. Can I boil the Bible down for you in four words? The first word of the Old Testament is in. The last word of the Old Testament is curse. You want to stay in that curse? You just stay right there, but I'm not there. Because I got over in the New Covenant, which its first word is the, and its last word is amen. Hallelujah. The book, of Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us that Jesus is the amen. The so be it God. Amen. He's not a, he's not a you can't have it God or I'm going to kill you God. He's a so be it God. Hallelujah. It is finished God. Hallelujah. The old covenant just in the curse. New covenant, the amen. It's all about Jesus. Not about how you performed. It's all about how he performed. Hallelujah. Okay. So, our righteousness comes as a result of a reckoning that says here, God accounted it to him for righteousness. How many of you saw Tombstone? Five of us saw Tombstone. The rest of you are ashamed to say so, aren't you? I've seen it four times. <laughs> and one of the things I like about it when it comes toward the end, when, when, when Wild Earp's going to have to face Johnny Ringo, and Doc Holliday says, it's a reckoning. It's a reckoning. It's a reckoning. It means it's getting even. A reckoning is getting even. Do you understand? A reckoning is how somebody gets even. God reckoned Abraham righteous. That is, God got even with Abraham. Not by punishing him, but by elevating him. And God made him even with him. A reckoning. He reckoned him righteous. Glory to God. He got even. Got on the same level. When a reckoning takes place, that means that we're even. That righteousness has been imputed by Almighty God. Ultimately, righteousness can only come from one who is supremely right. No one can determine his own righteousness, only his own satisfaction. And that's what most, most people do. They don't understand God. They get angry with God. They believe, the, they believe what the nominal church has told them about God. And they just give up on knowing Him. They just give up on knowing Him. And they, they find some way of scratching that itch that's inside them. You understand? They find some way of scratching that itch inside them and just get satisfied. But they've always... They're never really right, and they know they're not right. But listen, being satisfied and being righteous are two different things. Because you can be satisfied and not be righteous. But you cannot be righteous and not be satisfied. It's in the deal. When you know you are righteous with God, when you know you have righteousness and you've been made righteous, then you understand all your fear goes away. And you're not in control of your circumstances. You are over your circumstances. Most of us are trying to get in control of our circumstances. 
You need to see that you're in authority over your circumstances. Glory to God. Your circumstances are under your, your authority. Ultimately, righteousness can only come from the one who's supremely right, I wrote. Just because you're satisfied. Hey, sweet baby. You need me. She called call me Papa. You and me. Later, we'll talk. Just because you're satisfied does not mean you're right. But when you are right, you are satisfied. Now listen. Verse 7. Look at verse 7 in chapter 3. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Those who are of faith, those are the ones who are the children of Abraham. Not all the children of, Ab uh, are, the children of Abraham are the children of God. But all the children of God are definitely the children of Abraham. Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. Most of the world is full of people who just know about the one day and they never really found out why they're born. Why? There must be a reason. Why are you here? And everyone asks the question. Even atheists ask themselves this question, why am I here? What's it all about? It has to have meaning. It has to have meaning. Everyone knows it has to have meaning or I wouldn't wonder. If it didn't have to have meaning, I wouldn't say it had to have meaning. If it didn't have to have meaning, we wouldn't ask that question. Evolution would not have created us to ask that question. <laughs> yeah. Are you hearing me? It's stupid to say so. <laughs> the very fact that we ask, what does it all mean? Means it must mean something. Yes. Snakes don't ask, why am I here? <laughs> Dogs don't ask, why am I here? That horse that won that race yesterday? Oh, yeah. oh he's impressive. But you know what he was thinking at the end of that race? Get my oat bag now. Get my oat bag now. Get my oat bag. He wasn't thinking, hey, I want a big race. Look at me. He said, when you getting off? When you getting off? When you getting off and give me my oat bag? He didn't even know he won a race. All he knew was his, his owner was in a hurry. We got to get there now. Can you, can you imagine his disappointment when he wound up where he started? Hey, this is where we were. Why didn't we just stop right here? <laughs> because he doesn't know. But the owner knows there's something to it. Those of a greater mind know there's a reason. There has to be something more. The two greatest days of your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying in him in thee shall all nations be blessed. Now I uh, have shared this with you before but this is a standout moment in the Bible if you ask me. It says the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, that, that uh, descriptive phrase, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. The scriptures preached unto Abraham. You see it? The scriptures, that's the subject of this sentence, preached to Abraham. For you Bible school students or you Bible students, you, you got a little chronological problem with this, don't you? 
Because Genesis wasn't written until 400 years after Abraham had died. Why does it say the scriptures preached to Abraham? Is this a flaw in the, in the holy text? Of course not. All it's saying is the scriptures were written in a place. Because you can't use the word graphe and not mean written down. The scriptures must have been written in a place. Some place in the spirit where they could be seen. Is this real? Is this really true? That the Bible was written in an invisible realm before and, it, and Abraham got a glimpse of it? Well, let's just see. Take, our, let's take, the, uh, take us to Genesis 15.6. Well, 15.1. I'm going to show you something astounding. And the Oki found it. Praise <laughs> God. For all you Texans, the Oki found this one. And after these things... The word of the Lord came unto Abram. How? In an auditory word? In a vision. The word came not through his ears, but through his what? The word came through his eyes. Did you ever slow it down and see what it actually said? God showed him the scroll of the scriptures, and he read it for himself. The Word came in a vision. That's what Galatians chapter 3 says. The Scriptures preached to Abraham. Oh, this is powerful. That makes you want to go home and read your Bible now, doesn't it? It should. Rather than most people standing around, Oh God, I need a Word. I want a Word. Please give me a Word. I say, Oh, well, shut up. You don't want a Word. You don't even, don't even want one. Hadn't read your Bible in a month. You want a word? Just open that book, shove your face in it, you'll get a word. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The word came to Abram in a vision. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. The scriptures preached to Abraham. Verse 9. So when they which be of faith are blessed, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Well, blessed how? We have greater than Abraham in the spirit. We have Jesus. All Abraham's faith did was kept him from going to hell. It did not take him to heaven. It took him to that place that they could still see hell over there, remember? All it did was he, he, just, escaped, he just escaped the judgment of hell. Made him righteous, but he didn't get to go to heaven because he, that, his righteousness did not rebirth him yet. He had not been born again yet. Made right, completely, thoroughly reborn. Until Jesus went into hell. And when he came up out of the grave that time, that's when Abraham got born again, praise God. Same day Jesus got born all over again. Birth from hell. Birth from death. Hell in the grave. A second birth, praise God. That's why Jesus said, said emphatically, if you're going to enter the kingdom, you must be born again. You put your faith in Jesus. You identify with what He did. You become crucified with Him. The moment you believe on Jesus, you become crucified with Him and dead, buried, and resurrected all in one miraculous moment, just like that. If you're here in this place today and you haven't had that experience, I have some good news for you. That can happen to you before you walk out the building. Praise God. Can anybody in the room say amen to this? We have a greater than Abraham in the Spirit. Four things we have that Abraham did not have. Number one, we have Holy Spirit baptism. 
Abraham didn't have that. Number two, we have direct entrance into heaven. Direct entrance into heaven. For a believer, the Bible promises that to be absent from your body, the moment you close your eyes in what we know as death, Jesus just called it sleep, your spirit will instantly arrive in glory. You won't know any difference. All your loved ones whose bodies are out there in the graveyard, they, didn't even, they don't think about that body being in the grave. We think about their bodies being in the graveyard. They don't even know what we're crying about. They blinked their eyes if, if they were saved. They blinked their eyes and they woke up in glory. Amen. There's Jesus. Yeah. One moment to the next. That's all it is. He took the sting out of death, praise God. Yeah. He took the sting out of death. Yeah. Yeah. Amen, amen. The older I get, the more forward to it I'm looking, praise God. <laughs> I'm not afraid of it. Somebody, somebody was saying, yeah, you be careful over there in Israel. I ain't going to be careful. I, if I see a guy with a gun, I'm going to run up there and say, shoot me. <laughs> I told my kids I said you guys listen to me listen to me yeah I might shoot back but I said, I said to my kids if they get it I heard about this millionaire this billionaire who went into outer space because he could afford it I said if, you know when you, the first little digital watches were like a hundred dollars now you can buy them at Walmart for two dollars you know, if they ever make that affordable enough for a guy like me to go into outer space, I'm going. I'm going. If they say it's dangerous, I'm still going. If they say I got a 50-50 chance, I'm still going. If they say there's a 90% chance you will not return, I'm still going. Because I want my grandkids to be able to say, when they're standing around at a party, how'd your grandpa die? This one's going to say, well, he died coughing up blood in the hospital bed. The other one said, oh, he died with Alzheimer's. You know, he was about 95, and he just, last 10 years of his life, we didn't even know who he was. We were so glad that he finally went on to be with the Lord. <laughs> they get around asking my grandkids, how did your grandpa die? He blew up in outer space, glory to God. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah, he got to tinkering with the machinery and blew the thing up. He thought he could run it. <laughs> Direct entrance into heaven. Direct entrance into heaven. Number three, what you have that Abraham didn't have, you have Jesus, your high priest. Glory to God. I don't know, I don't know what, how people live without being able to use Jesus' name. Say His name and instantly feel the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. The comfort of the Spirit just saying His name. Man, there's something powerful about Him. Him sitting, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, our apostle and the high priest of our profession. Whatever you're saying, he's saying right now before Almighty God. You may not know how to say it, but he knows how to say it the right way. You got an elder brother working on your behalf, praise God. Y'all heard me tell the story about my older brother getting my first guitar. When you got somebody on your side, you got an elder brother who knows how to talk to the Father like you don't know how to talk to the Father. He's known him a lot longer. He knows him a lot better, praise God. All you got to do is use his name, and he knows how to get your message through to the Father, praise God. You have a high priest that, that Abraham just didn't have. And finally, you have God as your Father. You have the Almighty Himself, the Creator of the universe, as your Father. Think about that. Think about your dad. Now think about the Creator of the universe in His place. What makes you not want to go get it? What makes you not want to go have what He wants you to have? Because he owns everything. He doesn't just own the cattle on the thousand hills. He owns all the oil under the hills. Amen. He owns all the gold under the hills. Amen. 
He owns it all. And if that's not enough, they found a diamond planet out there here a while back when that Hubble space thing went by. It's Miss Ann's favorite planet. <laughs> they, said, they said it's crusted in diamonds, sparkles. They've, they've known it's been there for a long time. They thought it was a little sun of some kind because of the way it sparkled. You can look it up on the internet. It sparkled. They, and when the camera got there close enough to it, they realized it, it didn't have its own fire source. It just was made of diamonds. Wow. Praise God. Somebody said, said, you reckon that's the diamond that Jesus is going to use when he marries the bride? I don't know. It could be. The solitaire for a whole planet. And what are some of the blessings? Well, some of the blessings you have are long life, wealth, land, victory over your enemies. These things are all spoken in Abraham's covenant. Miracles, the miracle of Isaac. Favor with kings and civil authorities. I believe it's the will of God for you to be involved in this community, to make the community understand that we're here, that we're here as the church of the living God, and we're never going to go back. I think it's also wonderful that Jesus' first and last miracles were amazing miracles. Jesus' first and last miracles were miracles because of his righteous standing. He doesn't have to have a reason why he does a miracle. I'm going to try that one over here. Because of his righteousness, his righteous standing, he doesn't have to have a reason to perform a miracle. Amen. We tend to think God only works miracles for those who are desperately in need of them. God only works miracles for those who really need them. All those who are suffering, that's just not true. That could not possibly be true because nobody suffers more than little children on the streets of India. Starving to death in Calcutta. If need was what drove God to work miracles, he'd spend all his time there and he never would even say hi to us. But need is not what drives God. Need is not what moves God. Need is not what compels God or pleases God. There's just one thing that pleases God, and that's faith. There's one thing that pleases God. And the problem in India and these, these places like that around the world is not, it's not that they have a, 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 the too many people. That's just silly. If there are too many people, it causes causes nations to go down. But tell me why in the world it is that all the farm kids go to the city where the, where the jobs are, where it's really crowded to find money. People have always brought prosperity. Abundances of people have brought prosperity. The largest cities in this country are the, are the, countries that, are, are the cities that prosper the most. They pay the, they pay the most in, in wage. And the, and the young people are trying to get to these big cities all the time because where the crowds of people are is where prosperity is. India doesn't have a crowd overcrowding problem. They have a God problem. They worship cows have a God problem. And they'd rather worship the cows than take care of the children on the streets. They have, a, they have a God problem. And every nation that worships the state or worships something other than the true God has that problem. We have enough problems here and we supposedly worship the true God. You understand? But that's because, because the numbers in America are getting fewer and fewer and fewer and as that number of those who worship the true God goes down, the problems go up. You can mark them in, in our history. It's, it's, they're parallel things. But I love the fact that Jesus didn't work miracles. Just his very first, let's talk about his last miracle. His last miracle was a miracle of catching too many fish. He, called, he had, helped them catch so many fish. They, couldn't, they broke the nets and couldn't even get them all in. They didn't need that. that was, they weren't, these guys were not starving. They weren't suffering. 
They're going to all beg and, oh, Jesus, we're going bankrupt if you don't make it, help us catch some fish. No, none of that. They were good fishermen. They knew what they were doing. I've been on that Sea of Galilee now. Amen. I ate the fish out of that Sea of Galilee. I've got to be honest with you. I'd really rather have Texoma catfish any day. <laughs> Red River catfish any day. But it was all right. It was good. Jesus worked this wonderful miracle of prosperity and abundance just to say that he could. His last miracle was that. Oh, yeah, but he healed a lot of people that were in desperate need. Yes, he did. He did do that. But he didn't start his ministry that way. He started his ministry by, by a miracle that most of, most of the preachers in my realm have a real difficult time with. When they had already drunk their full, <laughs> Jesus made them pots of wine. <laughs> explain it. You can't explain it if you think that God only works miracles for those who have need. Amen. Come on, somebody say amen. He's a prosperity God. Amen. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. What did I say the law was about? First word in, last word curse. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You start there, you've got to finish there. Laws intrinsically, hear this, laws intrinsically carry consequences or they are of no effect and are therefore not actually laws. Just because it's on the books, if there are no consequences to it, it's not a law at all. Sodomy, anti-sodomy laws have been on our books for ages, but nobody's enforcing them, so they, they just went away. It is the nature of a broken law to curse. It's the nature of a broken law to curse. That's why the law can't help but have the curse in it. And Jesus did something that none of us could do. Because if you have to die for your sins, that's all you get to do is die for them. There's no living beyond it. There's no, no help beyond Verse 11 says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Life comes from faith and no other way. Life comes from just believing God and no other way. Until you step into the unseen realm, you're not really living. You need to understand this, that your life is not about what you see, what you can taste, touch, and smell. Because everything that you lean on, everything you trust in, is going away. It is fading as we speak. Fading as we speak. That's why homes that are built that aren't lived in just crumble fast. They just crumble so fast. You build a brand new home, nice home, keep it locked up. It'll just crumble because they're not made for that. You were not made to live your life without the presence of God in you. That's why death is everywhere, because there's no life in you. As a believer, life comes in the moment you believe. And when the life of Almighty God comes in, you come back to life, praise God. Everything about you changes. Everything about you changes. Oh, you might still not like spinach. If you didn't like spinach the day before you got saved, you're probably not going to like it the day after. <laughs> you know what I mean? But everything about your attitude changes. Everything about who you think you are changes. 
and, and then you go to church and then they change you back. <laughs> That's why you got here as quick as you could, praise God. Religion is just death. It's just death in a, with another name. Verse 12. The law is not of faith. Is the law of faith? No, it is not. The law God wrote was not of faith. That's the one he's talking about. The law of God is not of faith. You need to hear this in your heart. If you don't hear this in your heart, you'll always misunderstand what the Bible's saying. The law that God wrote through Moses was not a faith law. I didn't say it, and I didn't write this. I just found it. The law is not of faith. But we want the Ten Commandments. Oh, listen to me. Listen to me. Hold on. The Ten Commandments are good if they're used lawfully. The law is good if it's used lawfully. But the lawful way to use the law is not to try to get people to behave so they can go to heaven. That's the unlawful way to use the law. You use the law lawfully by building a society with it. Amen. Society's laws are built on the law of God. But just because you always stop at the stop sign, my Mormon friend, doesn't make you righteous. <laughs> right? I'm helping you today. The law is not a faith. It won't do anything for your heart. It'll do something for society. I'm, I'm in on building our society's laws on the law of God. I'm, I'm all for that. But I I'm, but I'm, I'm still say you're never going to be made righteous because of the way you perform the law. But the man that does them shall live in them. Now look here, what it says in Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So the law is not of faith, and Romans 14, 23 says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Hmm. Again, I didn't write this. I'm just telling you what the Bible actually says. Whatever is not of faith is sin. And it says, and the law is not of faith. Draw your own conclusions. Too many of us are not living our dreams because we're living our fears. This word that you brought, Frank, was so shocking to me. That's why I told Miss Ann, you've got to have him give this word because I knew where this message was going. You will never experience the joy and the peace and the love and the prosperity and all the good things that God has for you, even your health, until you dominate your fears. And there's no way to dominate your fears without just doing something by faith to cause, to cause those fears to subside. I was staying in an old house one time years ago, and nobody else was there. The wind started blowing, and the old house started creaking. And I started hearing noises and voices and stuff. Anybody been in that old house? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Just name a street. They all have one. Big old two-story house, creepy place. And I'm sitting there, and I can feel demons swarming as my fear level rises. And I was young in the Lord. And I thought, what am I going to do here? Get away from me, devil. Shut up. But I just made him know I was really afraid. <laughs> what am I going to do? You know what I did? I stood up, and I didn't know the house very well. It was in Marietta, Oklahoma. I stood up, and I walked 
out of the living room, down the hallway, to the back bedroom that I'd never been in. And I could barely see inside the room because I you know, had pull string lights like that, you know. I didn't know where that was. I could just barely make out any images inside that room. I walked in and, and I could almost feel stuff on my skin. The fear was, was, was tangible, tasted in my mouth. I just kept walking into the darkest part of that room. I walked back there and there was a door and I just opened that door and it was a closet, I think. And I just stuck my body into that closet. And I put my hand up on the shelf and shoved my hand back as far as I could on that shelf. And just stood there and dared something to eat me. <laughs> I didn't know what was big enough to eat me in there, but I, it had to be something because I was terrified. I was terrified for something. You understand what I'm saying? Even you big guys know what I'm talking about. This fear is not reasonable. And I just stood there until it went away. And I just stood there, stood there trembling. And finally, after a little while, I said, I beat you, devil. Amen. Turned around and walked out. You got to do it afraid sometimes, but you do it by faith. You have to operate in the faith that's in your heart. Any kind of fears can be overcome, and they're unreasonable fears. Most of the things you worry about have no, make no sense at all. You sat down and wrote it out on paper, you'd say, well, I'm a lunatic. <laughs> I must be a lunatic to be afraid of that. Okay? Faith will bring you out of it. Faith just brings you out of it. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He was redeemed, has redeemed us. That redeemed us part is the gospel part of this passage. Redeemed us. That's the gospel part of this passage. I'm going to stop right there for today. Redeemed us. The gospel is not that Christ died for our that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's what the creed makes us recite. But that's not the gospel. That's just the history. The mystery part is Christ died for our sins. It was all done for us. Don't leave off the mystery when you're reciting the history. Amen. Christ died for our sins. He had a purpose. He knew His purpose. He knew His purpose. He had those two great days in His life. The day He was born. The day He found out why. He had a purpose. And His purpose was to save humanity. Listen, you're here alive on planet Earth. You're here hearing these messages. Not to just come and hear them and be, be made whole even though you are being made whole. Just sitting under the word like this. This makes you whole. It makes you whole. We don't have an altar, altar call or prayer, prayer line culture. Although we have prayer lines and we give altar calls and we lay hands on people. But that's not our culture. Our culture is a culture of teaching and living it. Because if, I, if, I, if, I, if we develop a prayer line culture and an altar call culture, you'll think you have to have me to have, have any kind of relationship with God. And you don't. We don't have to be so enthusiastic about it, Parish. <laughs> you could have said something like, well, yeah, it's true, Pastor, but we still want you. I mean, you could have, you could have come up with something like that. 
Amen. <laughs> Amen. Would you bow your heads with me for a minute, please? Father dear, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the revelation of the word today. I ask you to bless this congregation today. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ manifest here so their hearts can be enriched with this word and that it will bring forth some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Amen. Little by little and on and on, we learn as the word grows in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today, and Jesus, you know, but you don't really know. I mean, you've never really made a commitment to him. Never asked him to come into your life. This is a good day for you. Because he loves you. And you saying anything you want to say, be as satisfied as you want to say, be. But without Christ in your life, you'll always be empty. When the friends are gone and the lights are turned off and the music shut off, it's just you in the darkness, you know you're empty. You know you have questions. You know you need God. I'm giving you an opportunity to make all that emptiness go away today. All those questions, all that pain, all the resentment, all the fear can just go away today. If you'll open your heart to Christ, who loves you, who if you had it to do over again, and it did just to get you, he would do it again just to get you. This invitation is the same invitation, is the greatest invitation any church can give. It should invite you into our family. Become part of this family. Come to know Christ. Because Christ died for your sins. We'll never talk to you about your sins again. We'll never mention them again because He forgets them. If you sinned against us, we'll, try our, we'll, we'll keep trying to forgive you. Until it's real. Until it's real. We'll work at it until it's real. We'll do it by faith until it's real. We'll never mention your sins again because I mean, if God loves you like you are, this family of believers will love you just like you are. We'll take you just like you are. If I'm talking to you today, I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. That's me. I need God today. I need Jesus in my life today. I want to be saved. I've run long enough. I've denied Him long enough. Today is my day. Anybody here in the house say, pray for me. I want to be right with God. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. God bless you. Let's pray together. Several have raised their hands. I want you to pray this prayer out loud. You raised your hand, especially pray this prayer out loud. The whole congregation is going to pray together. We lead people together. We, we lead people to the Lord together most of the time. We do this together. Because we want you to be a part of the family, not just be connected to John Holler. We want you connected to the family of God. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I believe the gospel I heard today, that Christ died for my sins. And he was buried 
And he rose again the third day, just like the Bible says. I believe this. Jesus, come into my heart. Make me new. I'll do what I can because you've done what you could. I believe in you. I said I believe in you. And I believe I'll never be the same. I believe I'm a new creature now. And I receive you with gladness. Thank you now for making God my father and you being my elder brother. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, shout for joy. Amen. Praise God.